Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knutson had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineering professionals who want to succeed. I'm on the road again today for this episode, and I'm bringing you with me to the offices of Mott McDonald, where I'll sit down with Nick DiNicolo, president and CEO of their North America operations, and talk to him about some pretty interesting and what I thought was very exciting things as a civil engineering professional. But before I started this podcast, people told me that civil engineers were not going to listen to a podcast. And I pushed ahead with this podcast as I did our other podcast. And I got to tell you, as of late, the podcast has been growing tremendously. The downloads are tremendous. The guests we're getting are tremendous. And you as the listener are just being so supportive with emails and LinkedIn messages. And it's just really, really awesome. And I'm really glad that you're a listener. And I'm really glad that the show is really taking off how I thought it would take off. And we've got some more exciting things coming up. Chris Knutson, who has co-hosted with me in the past, is going to be coming back and he'll be doing some stuff from Europe where he's located now. So we're going to get even more of a global view on things. But for this episode today, interesting story. I went to the ASCE National Conference a few years back in New York City. Nick DiNicolo was there receiving an award because he's a very accomplished professional in our industry. And I went up to him afterwards and he talked a little bit about how his family had come from Italy. My great-grandparents immigrated from Italy. We, we struck up a conversation, and I asked him about the Civil Engineering Podcast, and he said he'd love to come on. Now, obviously, Nick is a guy who's just a bit busy running a, an organization the size of Mont McDonald, traveling around the world. So we exchanged emails, and we have went back and forth on and off for a couple of years. And finally, in the last few weeks, I don't know, things just connected, and I was able to get down there. He was available. And so I made the trip, and I got to tell you, such a nice guy, just a generous guy with his time. We sat there on his couch in his office for about 45 minutes and he talked about his experience. And what you'll see in our discussion that you're about to hear that really is obvious and that shows throughout the entire interview is Nick's care for people, his clients, the people at Mont McDonald that he works with and his family. He's really a people person. And I think that's why he's been in this position for so long. and He's been so successful with it. And hearing someone talk about that me understanding how important people are and what we do as civil engineers was really, really powerful part of this interview for me. And I hope that you feel the same and I hope you take something out of it because Nick really kind of opened up and gave us a lot of good stuff here and I'm excited to share it with you. All right, before we get into the interview, I do want to remind you to stick around until the end of this podcast episode for my essential career advancement tips. I'll be sharing info on where to find practical advice and the best resources for your licensure exam including an exclusive 20% discount available only to our listeners, thanks to our sponsor, PPI. You won't want to miss that. And also, I do get calls and emails still from people asking how our company, the Engineering Management Institute, can help them. If you are an individual engineer just looking to succeed in advance, you can go to our website and check out our programs at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. One of our more popular programs is the Engineering Management Accelerator Workshop. If you go to that product website. You can click on individuals and enroll in our next session, which is in September. If you work for a corporation, you're looking for corporate training. We do that as well. We use an assessment and we try to help you understand where the skill set gaps are in your engineering managers. And then we either use one of our programs or we can customize one for you. And again, you can get in touch with us at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org or give us a call at our offices at 201 857-2384. That's 201-857-2384. All right, now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's civil engineering conversation. Just so you get to know a little bit more about Nick before we dive in here. Appointed to the board in April of 2016, Nick DiNicolo is the president and CEO of Mott McDonald in North America. Under his leadership, the company has emerged as an important player in the premier league of North American consulting firms. He brings technical expertise to this position with over 40 years of experience in the consulting field and extensive network of relationships with key industry leaders and regulators in his own personal tenacity and energy, which he has, I can attest to that, from sitting down with him 
And he classified himself as a working executive. He's on the go. He's moving. He's getting things done. And we're going to have a full, full bio for him in the show notes. But I also want to tell you a little bit about Mott McDonald in case you're not familiar with the company. Mott McDonald is a $2 billion global management, engineering, and development firm. Is one of the world's largest employee-owned companies with 16,000 employees and over 180 offices delivering sustainable outcomes for clients in 150 countries worldwide. It works on projects in the transportation, buildings, power, oil, and gas, water and wastewater, environment, education, health, international development, and digital infrastructure sectors. And again, that's from the website. I'm sure they've grown since that time. The company is growing pretty rapidly. All right, so buckle up. I think this is a, a good interview with Nick. Like I said, he's open. He gives you some real good advice from that CEO global perspective. Here it is. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Nick, I'm excited to speak with you because we have a lot of civil engineers, of course, that listen to the show. They're very into their day-to-day project details. And I thought speaking to someone at your level who is an engineer but also has to is now very strategically moving this organization forward. You're seeing things on a very global perspective. I think it's helpful for working professionals in these day-to-day projects to hear from people in your position. And before we dive into some of that stuff, maybe just to set the scene for our listeners, Nick, you could give us a little bit about kind of your career path and how you got to CEO. I know it's probably (laughs) a bit of a path, but, you know, some of the big maybe milestones of your career, the journey, so to speak. Okay, so I graduated in 1973 from uh, Newark College of Engineering, now NJIT. And I've been with the same company, by the way, since November 11th, 1974. So I've been with Mont McDonald and uh, the prior names before we were acquired by Mont McDonald. But it's going on to now uh, 42 years with the same company. Wow. And uh, back in the day when I started, you know, my interest was simply to go to work, do a good job, have that work ethic, and I wanted to see things built. I wanted to see an idea manifest itself into a project. To me, that's what kind of drove me all along. I never had an ambition to be uh, the CEO of anything. I just wanted to be a good engineer. But I would say along the way, I've been fortunate in having great mentors early on in my career. And I think today with young students, young engineers, it's very important that they have somebody that they can trust and share, you know, uh, aspirations and, and advice. I've had that, I think, always in my career. So I've had many mentors and they've been very helpful to me. I think what happened in my case, as the company started to grow, and uh, opportunities came my way, I would say yes to most of the opportunities. And I think that was really all it was. And it's more a matter of engagement too. I found myself very interested in being engaged with clients. Over time, you you develop that kind of relationship with clients and it grows from there. My journey to where I am today, I would say uh, it's more a matter of uh, my work ethic, you know, uh, putting in a good day's work, and I always looked at my career almost like a vocation and, and uh, why do I do this? What's the purpose behind what I do? And I think having that purpose always, wanting to do, get projects done, benefit society, to me, you know, quite frankly, is what's driven me over the years. So you didn't have a specific aspiration to be a CEO. You just wanted to do great projects and do engineering. Well, I mean, to me, you know, I've always wanted to, you know, grow with a business. I wanted to be in a position where I'm contributing. I have a master's in civil engineering. I don't have an MBA. I think I earned my MBA in the course (laughs) of the day-to-day work. When you have opportunities, you need to size up the situation. If you think it's the right thing for you, you go ahead and do it. I think It was really a matter of trust, trust by my supervisors in what I'm able to do, trust in many of the clients that I've engaged with over the years. And through that process, uh, opportunities just grew where I actually took a management track after a while. Hmm. But I still do engineering. It's still my first love. So let's go way back. Nick, I've seen several interviews with you, and we've talked a bit in the past. I know that, you know, starting back as a kid, I know your parents were immigrants, is right. that right, from yeah. Italy? Yeah. 
Tell us about that. Was it Hoboken where you grew up? Yeah, well, well, we, we grew up in, in Hoboken, New Jersey. I'm sure for those of you listening, my accent gives me away. <laughs> I guess that's right across the river from New York. But uh, my parents are immigrants. They came to this country. My, my dad came here when he was about nine years old. I never graduated high school, but then when World War II came along as a USGI, he went and served the nation. And after the war, he opted to stay in Italy for a few years, met his bride, and brought his bride over to Hoboken mm -hmm. and raised a family. So uh, basically a very strong work ethic, you know, culture, which I, I learned from my parents. Also, I think from a leadership point of view, being willing to over overcome challenges that they had to overcome. Uh, it was something that was embedded within me and my brothers and my sister. I think it was in those early years that I earned my MBA. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I know speaking to people that have parents that were immigrants, it yeah. has a very big effect on your career yeah. and your values and the way that yeah. you work. I mean, do you right. agree with that? Oh, absolutely. You know, th their mission was always to uh, come to this wonderful country, raise a family, and making sure that uh, their children have, you know, an opportunity to really uh, be great citizens and productive citizens of the United States. And uh, they worked hard at that, you know. I remember my dad having two jobs always in order to be able to uh, afford us to go to school. But it's been a great experience and, and one that uh, I'm very thankful for. Were your parents very focused on having you and your siblings like assimilate? Like I've seen a lot of Italian American immigrants that, yeah. you know, instead of they want them to learn English and get involved in their current, like yeah. right away, in other yeah. words, kind of was it well, like. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I grew up in an Italian family, so, you know, uh, Italian at home at the dinner table was always the first language. Okay. But uh, as we started going to school, the drive was always, you know, don't forget your legacy, your American citizens. Right. And there's great opportunities out there. And they did push us along in that direction. So, you know, it was always, uh, especially my dad, you know, you'd come home with, uh, I was a pretty good student, but occasionally you'd get a B. <laughs> And, and uh, I would always be challenged, why to be, you know? And, uh, so it was that type of, uh, uh, you know, always pushing uh, and striving so that uh, we would have a better life. Yeah, I know that my great-grandparents came here from Italy and um, my grandmother speaks Italian. And I know even from my own self, my daughter, like she'll have a soccer game and she'll score four goals. And I'll be like, Brie, what, what happened on the breakaway? I, you missed. <laughs> She's like, Dad, I scored four goals. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, you know, that's just who I am showing up there. But how did you get to the point where you decided you wanted to go into engineering? What did that look like? It's an interesting question. You know, I was always fascinated with construction as a child, you know, just looking at the buildings going up and excavations. And it, for some reason, uh, I've always wanted to be involved with, with something that's being built. My, my dad's a mechanic, so I can't say I got that from him. But I, it was just always a fascination with construction, and I thought engineering would be a, a good profession for me. So, uh, And I think I wanted to be an engineer since I was like in the seventh grade. Wow. So it's not something that uh, I opted to pursue when I was a senior in high school. Right. Yeah. Hmm. So you knew kind of go. So when you went to college, you were going for engineering. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I went to Newark College of Engineering. Right. It was an engineering school. Right. And um, I guess it wasn't until after the first semester, my, my bent was towards civil engineering. Again, you know, by virtue of my interest all along in seeing uh, the built environment and construction and that sort of thing. Sure. And so, you know, you went through school, you came out and... You know, you started working and, you know, you mentioned before that opportunities came about and oftentimes you would say yes, yeah. which eventually evolved into management and, you know, ultimately, you know, where you are today. If there's civil engineering professionals out there now that are interested in the management track, they're interested in becoming leaders, are there things that they can do specifically? I mean, listen, I think all civil engineers are working on projects. That's how you come about. That's how you start. That's how you grow. But I got to think that at some point, there were things that you did that made you, gave you the ability to become the CEO. 
Well, I think so. Look, in civil engineering, you really get involved with every other discipline. You know, when, when sure. you see a project get built, it's not just the civil engineers. You have your electrical, you got your mechanical engineers. You know, all disciplines play actually into civil engineering when a project manifests itself as a completed project. So to me, you know, as far as my track to CEO, it was more a matter of being engaged with the entire project. You know, today we call it integrated project delivery. It's being able to, you know, engage with all the stakeholders, whether it's the disciplines, subconsultants, the clients. So to me, I think what civil engineers need to understand too is when they think of the word client, from my perspective as a consulting engineer, the client isn't necessarily the agency that you're working for, it's that end user. So if you're working mm. uh, for a water utility and you have a serious problem and they need an entire new treatment facility, I tell our people, don't look at the facility or that agency as the client. Think about that young child that's gonna be drinking that water. Think about mm. the customer's customer. And that gives you a sense of purpose behind what you do. Mm, that's and, great. And, uh, the end user. Think about the end users yeah, of who's yeah, gonna be using yeah, your projects, yeah. yeah. I mean, as far as uh, you know, being a CEO, it's multifaceted, you know. At the end of the day, you're running a business and you need to run a successful business. And to run a successful business, you have to have the right resources, and that's both your staff and the tools that they need. But, you know, there's the governance issue. There's the governance. Right. And that's very important. You know, they doesn't go by that you're not addressing some legal issue or some financial issue or an HR issue. Right. Okay? So you've got the strategy, though. The strategy to me is the most important. Yeah. Because you have a responsibility of getting the company to a certain destination. Now, that's, that destination is your strategy. Yeah. But then you need to be tactical enough to come up with the roadmap to get to that strategy, mm. to that ultimate uh, uh, end zone, if you will, right. or that destination, I should say. And uh, so you, you've got to be very strategic. You've got to be tactical. You have to have a lot of patience. I think in my case, uh, and looking at my own upbringing, I think you have to have a degree of uh, maternalism. Yep. You have to have that sense because at the end of the day, your people, are really your family, right? okay? Each and every one of those people, okay, whether they are an executive vice president or the mailroom clerk, have families. And you have to appreciate that. And everything that you do, you know, I think as a, a CEO, you have to treat people equally, regardless sure. of their position. And to me, there's also a need to be inspirational. At the end of the day, you know, people looking to you for guidance. Sure. And that's something that you have to be prepared to do. You don't learn that in college. That's, you're not gonna get that out of a, yeah. a four-year curriculum. You, know, you may learn how to design beams and come up with the right concrete mix. It's the connection with people, the engagement with all stakeholders, whether your, your clients, your staff, the communities that you serve. To me, that is that extra element that makes CEOs successful or not, you know, that, that constant engagement yeah. with, with all stakeholders. I wish that they would offer that more in the four-year curriculum right. at, uh, in colleges. I do know, like in one university, Villanova University, yeah. uh, they have a pretty great, they have a cool program called Career Compass, where civil, or all engineers, yep. the engineer, despite understanding the core curriculum and the, and the laws of physics and, and understanding what we need to learn as engineers. But they also really ground that four-year curriculum into what they call professional development. And they deal with integrity, they deal with courage, they deal with competence and accountability. Yeah. So I think that gives some of these kids a head start when they graduate college. Absolutely, I imagine that it, that it would. And Nick, in terms of, just for a point of reference for our listeners, because you mentioned how important it is as a CEO to engage with your employees or like family, give the audience a sense of, when you say family, you know, how many people are we talking here in terms of Matt? Well, McDonald? I wear two hats. In North America, we have 66 offices and we have about 2,700 staff, okay? Wow. So it's very hard to get out to 66 offices <laughs> right. considering there's only 52 weeks to the year. 
I would say that uh, of all the offices, I've probably visited maybe 80% of the offices, wow. you know, and um, I make a point of uh, trying to meet as many people as possible when I go to an office for a meeting. I try to spend an extra day so I can spend some time with the staff, share with them what the company's vision is, what's going on in the business. And so that's the North American bit. But I'm also uh, one of seven on the executive board of Mott McDonald Global. Okay. And that's uh, 17,000 people. Wow. And um, I've had the, the privilege of uh, traveling throughout the world and visiting our offices throughout the world. I, I was recently in um, Jakarta, in Indonesia, where we're working on some major projects, uh, transit projects. And when you go there and you see what these people are doing, your engineers and your staff over there, I got to tell you, when I come back to North America, I come back very humbled. Just the, the skills that are out there throughout the world. I've been to India, to our offices in Mumbai and Delhi. And again, looking at how they do things and you know, going digital. I mean, at the end of the day, you go to some of these offices, they're totally paperless. They're yeah. really, they're, because we're a global business, and to be able to move work around where work is needed, to redeploy staff, it's easy to do that these days. But to me, where am I going with this? The fact that I get to travel and see so many different offices, you can't measure the success of an office or region solely by the operating profit that particular unit might you know, deliver to the business. It's very important. I look at the contribution that they make. Some of these offices, you know, they're in a situation where they may not drive great profits, but they do excellent work. So to me, yeah. you have to, uh, you know, look at that because when you have 17,000 people, and we're a private health company, we're an employee-owned company. Right. So there, you know, everybody wants to be viewed as contributing to the overall business. So to me, I, I think that's, yeah. that's great. So... Nick, I think if somebody envisioned your position as a CEO of a company of this size and you know the employees you just spoke about, it seems to me that you're super hands-on for someone in this position. I mean, I've only been in here for 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes with you, but you told me you got to get on a plane later, you're going to help close out a project in another part of the U.S. You, do, you still look at technical stuff, which I think is good in some respects because I think a lot of civil engineers are scared of management because they like the engineering yeah. and they don't want to lose that. Right. But... How do you still do all this stuff? I, mean, I would say that it comes down to uh, passion, drive. Uh, you know, I love my job. I love the people that we work with. I love the challenge. It's not easy. That's just the way I'm wired. But having said that, what I spend a lot of time on over the last few years in particular is this important aspect of governance and having a sustainable business, and that's succession. I won't always be here. So to me, it's very important that people don't have to emulate you. There are people out there much smarter than me or have different skills. So my job as a CEO, for any matter, any CEO, is to be able to unclog that leadership pipeline and be able to bring in the next generation mm -hmm. to take over the business. So when I do all this, as you say, and I travel here and I travel there, I generally have other people with me, sure. some younger people, some of our senior managers, because sooner or later, they're going to have to take over. Hmm. So you can't just do this on your own shoulders. I've learned over the years, I rely very heavily on the team concept. You know, Without that, you don't succeed. It's good to hear that. I mean, I think it's always good to see leaders that are cultivating the next generation of leaders because I think sometimes it's difficult to do that because you're busy and you, know, you need to make it a point to do that and it sounds like you do make it a point to do that. At, at all levels, I mean one of the greatest events that we have at Mott McDonald each year, I love it, I haven't missed one, we have what we call graduate weekend. We take all our graduates from the prior year, about 90 graduates from all over the country, wherever they're from, and we bring some graduates in from other parts of the world, hmm. okay? And we bring them together, we gather them together wow. for a three-day weekend. And it's a really great, a great event where they get to meet each other, they get to connect a lot, you know, you've got people from different cultures, different backgrounds. We share with them our culture, 
We share with them the importance of integrity and ethics. We share with them how important safety is. And we run them through a lot of different examples of what the business is all about. We give them mock RFPs, and then they have to go along. We break it up into groups, wow. and they actually have to present to the executive leadership uh, their pitch as to why their RFP, their response to the RFP should be the winning project. Wow, that's really interesting. So we do a lot of uh, interesting things, but at the end of the day, when that weekend is over, you know, you've got 90 more engaged engineers yeah. so that to me it gets back to the whole issue of engagement then and, and and it's part of that leadership pipeline you have to start from the very beginning once you get uh, young students uh, that want to come to work for you that first year is very important it's a very important year that you know you you bring them on board they go through the onboarding but it requires a lot of engagement by their supervisors by their mentors to assimilate them into the business and uh, we put a lot of effort into that. Hmm. And then when you talk about lifelong learning, it's going back to school once again. Right from graduates through our young engineers and then once they get registered and become professionals, throughout that course, right up to even now, we have training programs throughout one's journey. And I think that's very important, not only from the standpoint of lifelong learning, right, but uh, just an investment in the business. So I, I think it works for us. Whenever we seem to talk about your people and engagement, you seem to get excited. You know, yeah. you seem to. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Which is good to see. So on the flip side of things, what's tough about this job? Well, how many more hours do we have <laughs> for this interview? Uh, today, it's different than when we started. I think today, in, in, in many of our clients, uh, when I grew up, our clients were all engineers, okay? And if there was a project and an issue arose, it was easy to, you know, address those concerns and uh, work together to move the project along. Today, I, I think the world's changing. The clientele has changed. In many cases, the clients are not engineers. They may be supply chain people. They may be lawyers. Sure. They may be accountants. So that requires that the engineers really need to understand who that client is and be able to communicate at that client at a level that they understand and appreciate. <laughs> and what we're doing, and so are many of the other consulting firms out there, we're going into this new digital space. And when we make presentations to clients these days, it's all animation, it's all virtual reality, it's all you know looking at projects where in the old days we would look at a set of drawings. Today, we take that client through a virtual overview of what that project looks like today and what it will look like right. once it's built. <laughs> and it kind of connects you more with those clients that really don't have the technical background. One of the big delivery methods today is design-build. Yes. And when you're dealing with design-build, as an engineer, we're not taking an equity stake in some of this work, but we're the engineers, we're doing the design, and you have to be careful that there isn't too much of a transferal of risk to the engineer. Right. And then that brings in complications with insurance. The world's become far more complex yeah. than it was uh, back then, back in the early 70s when I started. That sometimes could be a struggle. But, you know, it's like anything else, you know, uh, except as part of the job. So. So those are some of the difficulties. Yeah, no, I'm uh, sure there's you know, a lot of the, stuff to cover. It seems to be a much more litigious society today. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the difficulties are when you're working in other countries, you've got other issues you have to deal with. You've got exchange rate issues. You've got tax issues. So there's a lot of other complications. But then again, you can't expect to do everything. That's why you have a team. Right. That's why you have really good inside counsel. This is why you have very you have excellent financial uh, uh, people. So as long as you're able to, you know, share the burden and then it just move on, you know, so it's not yeah. a problem. I mean, I think something that I wanted to ask you about was, I mean, I, I run a company, but it's a small company and nothing in comparison to this. And I, I know for me, I, I really try to put thought into what I should be working on as kind of the president, someone who's thinking about the strategic growth of a company. But, you know, in terms of your position, a large company and a lot of moving parts. Like, how do you 
think about what to work on on a daily basis. I know as engineers, we're very task focused sometimes. Like, how do you know, like, I mean, today you have to get on a plane, but is there any rhyme or reason to like, <laughs> how you figure well, this out? I, I mean, you know, you, you try to schedule as best you can, uh, but you know, I gotta tell you, there are days you come into the office set on doing certain tasks, right. only to find out that you get diverted to a lot of unforeseen events that may arise. You have to be agile. You have to be able to adapt. I mean, at the end of the day, I think the good firms have to be grounded in a resilient way. You have to be able to, uh, you know, respond and recover from events that might happen overnight. Sure. You have to have a certain structure. You really do. You, you know, there are certain meetings that you have to have. Every month you have to have a financial close meeting. Every month you need to have a meeting with the HR department. So there are a lot of other meetings that need to be conducted in order to run the business. But what is always paramount and what will prioritize anything is the need of the clients. Okay. If there's a client need, that's always number one. That's what makes it really exciting and a lot of fun, the yeah. fact that uh, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Sure. As a business, you know, we all try to look beyond the horizon and what's gonna be disruptive in our industry and yes. how do we go ahead and uh, plan for that all firms, I would think, uh, uh, has this sense of futures thinking and what should we be doing as engineers to meet the needs of our clients in the next few years? You know, you get into the whole conversation about uh, climate change. Yes. All right. And, you know, when I look at climate change, you can look at it from climate change uh, mitigation. Okay. And you can look at it from climate change adaptation. When I sit, talk about adaptation, it's there are so many needs out there, you know, as a direct result of climate change, okay? You know, the storms that we're experiencing today, yep. the frequency of these storms and the magnitude of these storms are uh, creating havoc with the built environment. So we spend a lot of time with our clients addressing how we can make your asset much more resilient. And that's a near-term issue. And then you have to look at it if based on the trends and what we see, if we are going to have sea level rise, what are we doing right now to position our clients to deal with projects that can offset that issue if, in fact, you know, sea level rise does occur? And it brings this whole notion of life cycle costs. When you look at a client today, you don't look at just solving a problem, what that near-term cost is. You have to look at over the life cycle of a project. And when you look at a life cycle of a project, you have to consider what's happening in the world today that might affect that initial investment. And when I look at sea level rise, sure, okay, uh, I'm concerned. Do we raise the runways an extra six inches? Right. And if we do, what does that do to the recurrence interval of that storm event? How much more uh, mm. risk are we able to mitigate by spending a little more money up front? These are big issues today. In the old days, it was more a matter of, well, what is the project going to cost? Let me fund it and move on. Today, you have to really look at it from an overall life cycle cost. And that's wow. even from an ASC point of view. And as you know, I'm vice chair of the Industry Leaders Council. Right. And through ASC and the ILC, we created you know, the grand challenge. And the grand challenge is, what are we going to do to try to reduce reduce the life cycle cost of projects by even 50% yeah. over the course of the next five, 10 years. I mean, that is a it's big, big challenge. Yeah. But by looking at that and dealing with that challenge, it creates a spirit of innovation. So we learn how to innovate more. We uh, try to shy away sometimes from prescriptive standards and try to performance-based standards. We have to consider resilience in everything that we do. So to me, that's very important that, that you look at these big challenges down the road and begin to think about how can we as civil engineers meet that challenge. Yeah, it sounds to me, which is great, is that you have a lot of things to focus on here, but it sounds like you have some really important themes like you know your clients, the value you can provide to your clients, the engagement with your people that kind of drive the actions you take, which I think is great because I'm sure it can be overwhelming in a position like this to, to make sure you're working on the right things, but it seems like when you have some good underlying themes that you want to focus on, yeah. it can keep yeah. you grounded in kind of making sure you're headed in the right direction. 
No, that's very important. Again, I think that brings me back to my own upbringing. You know, it's sure. just, you know, in some ways you look at what you do. Uh, it's part of your family. So you want to make sure that you plan properly. You have a sustainable situation and uh, you're always looking in a positive way towards the future. That's how that all plays out. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. We talked a little bit before about your upbringing, your parents. And I'm also 100% Italian-American, so that's really the only culture that I know in terms of my own upbringing. And I know it's a very family-focused culture. You know, we get the Sunday dinners, you got you know, 50 people around the table. We used to go to my grandmother's in the basement every week, and we still try to do that. In this position, how can you maintain some level of your own balance, work, life, family? Uh-huh. I think that's an excellent question because I've been at this for so many years and uh, I have a passion for it. I do try to strike a balance. At the end of the day, I have uh, four great uh, children. One's a civil engineer uh, and uh, they're all doing very well. Um, My 42nd year of marriage and uh, I got to tell you, uh, I was head coach for all four of my children. Baseball, you know, I did what I had to do to make sure I struck a balance. Uh, But to be totally honest with you, could I have done even better in that area? And the answer is yes. There's always going to be regrets. And for the young engineers that are starting, do strike that balance. Do know what's important to you. And it's not always about the work and the project. You know, you have to be grounded in your faith. You have to be uh, there for your family. And to me, uh, the business comes third. I've been fortunate enough to be able to balance it as best I can. Uh, Have there been challenges along the way? Absolutely. You have to strike a good work balance. I mean, you know, we grew up, you know, it's like, you know, the old adage, what is it? Uh, We live to work. Yeah. And, you know, new generations, you know, we work to live. You know, someplace in the middle is really where where we need to be. Yeah. I think that's very important that uh, people do strike strike a good balance between work and personal life. Very very important. It's much more, and and today it's a different business, you know, where you have to be more agile. You got the situation where you have a lot of our professionals don't work in the office. They may work from their home. That comes with trust, okay? And it's a different dynamic today, and you have to be able to adapt to that. Yeah, for sure. Do you think... For those listeners that are interested in becoming, whether it's a CEO, an executive, an office manager, a regional manager, do you think that today someone who's an engineer with a bachelor's and master's in engineering, no MBA, do you think that they can get these jobs in the future? Absolutely. Why not? I know a lot of people that have MBAs that can never make it as a CEO. So, you know, just because you went to school with a focused technical track, okay? You know, listen, I've got executives that are just totally technical. Right. And they, you know, climb the management uh, ladder and deal with technical issues, and others will migrate towards the the management uh, role. So I just think that in many cases, it's it's in the course of your work, your day-to-day work, that you learn a lot of experiences, and I think that that and your own innate abilities and competencies come into play. But at the end of the day, I think it's being able to work with people, whether it's with your staff, with your clients. And you take today mega projects, big projects that we work on. Mark McDonald cannot necessarily do all these jobs on their own. Right. We work in many projects with many alliance partners. Right. Talk about that. Many of the other consultants out there. and, And, you know, in North America, we're very blessed with a lot of great engineering companies. And on major projects, it's very unusual to go it alone. Back in the 70s when I started, there was this sense of arrogance. Well, why do I need this firm to be part of my team? Now the dynamic has changed. It's how do we partner together in order to add value to our businesses and provide the value that our client wants. And I can't think of any major project, I'm talking about major design build projects, that doesn't have a team, a partnership, whether it's in a prime sub-arrangement or in a JV with comparable companies. So if I were to look at the ENR top 100, 
I would say that McDonald probably has alliance partnerships, not exclusive, of course. Right. Probably more than half of those uh, companies. Wow. So to me, you know, it's part of that willingness to have that team concept and that partnership becomes very important. And how involved are you with those partnerships, Nick? Do you talk to those other presidents? Well, yeah, I, I think, you know, over the years, many of these CEOs and presidents of, uh, we'll call them competitive companies, many of them are very close friends of mine. Right. And I've gotten to know them over the years through our professional associations, you know, whether it's through the ASCE sure. or ACEC. And it's like anything else. You strike relationships, you build a sense of trust, and you work together. So to me, I would say to the young engineers, early on in your career, get involved with your industry. Get involved with ASCE. Go through the local chapters. Start to get to know each other because those young people will be dealing with other young people that will someday be decision makers, whether they're on the client side yep. or in partnerships. So I think that's... Uh, something that's very important to be an effective executive you got to be able to be engaged with stakeholders yep partners whether they're your clients whether Sound they're your competitors again, yeah. certainly your own staff i'm glad you answered that way because the reason i asked you about the mba and all that is because i do think that a lot of engineering professionals civil engineering professionals they feel like they need that to be a, an effective leader, I personally, from interviewing a lot of people like yourself, I don't think that it's necessary, or what I would say is, and I'm not putting an MBA down, I'm sure it could be very yeah, helpful, yeah. but the point of it is, I would hate to see someone out there limit themselves or put a limitation on their own yeah. success because they think they don't have a certain certificate right. or something. No, no, I think you're right, but <clears throat> make no mistake, you have to have skills and competencies that go well beyond the laws of physics, okay? Right. <laughs> and this is where that whole... The investment in lifelong learning is important. Yes, of course. So we have many of our young associates that want to go for an MBA. We don't discourage it. Fine, get your MBA. The more knowledge you can learn, the more education that you can you know, take on, the better off you will be. So I think we send people to business schools, whether it's you know concentrated six-week programs or whatever the case may be. We have many internal programs which I would call mini MBAs. And we start these programs once our engineers, scientists get registered and become professionals. Then we take them to management schools. In some cases, not in the United States, some cases in the UK, other parts of the world, because we're a global business. So no, don't get me wrong, I'm all for more and more education. And as much more you can get outside the technical track, that's great. Yeah. So no, I'm 100% at McDonald. Our engineers who want to go back for a master's degree, we pay 100%. We're so committed to that, we pay 100% tuition. You know, someone asked me once, well, gee, that's a big investment. What if they leave? I respond by saying, what if they don't leave? Right. So to me, it's that, that whole that investment that you want to make in people. So that's great. I'm 100% behind the need for lifelong learning. I think that in the civil engineering in our business, they should go and get them a master's degree in, yep. in engineering. I, I think that's important today. There's so much more that's going on uh, when you think about what's driving the way we deliver projects today with building information modeling and you know BIM and digital way of doing work. It's learning. I, I get upset when I hear that the machines are taking over and we're not gonna need engineers. At the end of the day, I disagree with that. There'll always be engineers that need to make that ultimate decision as to what's right and what's wrong. And a data output is not gonna give you that answer. Once again, I'm here with Nick DiNicolo. We're talking about his career. Nick is the president and CEO of Mont McDonald North America. And what we're going to do now as we you know, move towards wrapping this up, we're going to jump into our CE Hot Seat segment where I'm just going to fire off a few last questions at Nick. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now we're going to transition into our CE Hot Seat segment and talk to Nick about his professional development a little bit. But 
stick around all the way to the end of this episode because right before the outro music, at the end of the interview, I have two recorders always, one and then one as a backup. And at the end, I had thought that I shut them both off, but I only shut one off. And Nick had said a few more things. And something that he said was really profound, really impactful. And even he laughed and said, man, I should have said that when the recorder was on. And so I ended up getting that clip and I was able to share it with you. And so if you listen all the way till the end, you'll hear that. But before we jump into this segment, I do just want to recognize our sponsor for the episode, PPI. I have some big news for my civil engineer listeners. If you've been thinking of getting your PE license, but you're unsure of where to start, now is the perfect time to check out PPI2Pass.com. PPI has helped over 4 million engineers pass their licensure exam and become leaders in their fields. Best of all, PPI has recently released the brand new Civil Engineering Reference Manual, the essential book for your PE civil exam prep. Visit PPI2Pass.com to order the new Civil Engineering Reference Manual and take one step closer to career advancement. That's PPI, the number two, pass.com. I also have a 20% off promo code available to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code TCE8 on PPI's website for an exclusive 20% discount. Again, that's promo code TCE, like the civil engineer, TCE, and the number eight. All right, Nick, first question here. Are there any specific rituals that you practice every day, whether it's a morning, afternoon, some kind of routine that's helped you to being a successful professional and that stands out? Well, I wake up in the morning. I always have breakfast because I need that little energy boost. Yeah. And other than that, I always leave home, give my wife a kiss, <laughs> wish her well. And uh, really, I don't have any real ritual. I mean, to me, it's more a matter of... Your uh, days are obviously up and down depending on what comes across your yeah. desk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't say, I mean, I, I love to exercise. I don't exercise enough these days. Uh, but to me, it's uh, there is really no you know, preset ritual that I go through. Okay. How about books? Is there a book that stands out for you that you either recommend to young professionals or that you remember that's come up a lot for you that was helpful for you in your career or your development? Well, I mean, I like reading books. I, I'm more of a, a, I don't think it's one for the engineers. I'm more of a techno thriller reader. I, I love <laughs> reading uh, to me. Uh, there's so much that we read each and every day. I mean, I, I can't single out any one book that I think would be overly inspiring. There's so much out there. What I would say is do read. Yeah. Read as much as you can each and every day, whether it's a, a, a trade journal or a inspiring book on business. Mm -hmm. But you have to keep reading because that's where you get a lot of knowledge. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, here's this question that we often give towards the end of the interviews, which we, if you imagine you were to get into an elevator with a young civil engineer and you had about 30 seconds with him or her and you had to give them career advice before you got off the elevator, what would you tell that person? I would tell that person a few things. I'd say, work hard, okay? Nothing comes easy except whatever challenges come before you. Be engaged, understand that you should know your limitations. Great engineers know the limitations. If you don't know something, you ask. Right. And through that process, you learn. And at the end of the day, always think about not what it is you're doing or how you should do that. People will give you that information. But what you need to focus on is why am I doing this? Hmm. If you focus on why I'm doing this, it gives you a sense of purpose. And it's that purpose that will drive you throughout your career. That's great. And it's been obvious in talking with Nick here that he's got his own purpose. And like he said, that's what drives him, these projects and, and bettering society, which is great. And so I really love that. And I love that you that you hit on that idea of responsiveness, Nick, because I think sometimes as engineers, we're pressured today into being quick responders. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it's dangerous. You know, if you give someone an answer on one of our projects that could be, you know, yeah. not that, of course, we want to be responsive to our clients. It's yeah. very important. It's also okay to be honest and tell people that, listen, I know this is an important part of the project. I got to look into a couple things before I rattle off some answers because a lot of stuff hangs in the balance. So I'm really glad you touched on that because I do think that sometimes there's a lot of pressures on engineers today because of what we do. Yeah. And that can be somewhat dangerous. I appreciate what you just said. One thing, if I was to add one other item to the elevator, you know, opportunity yeah. is I would tell them no matter what you do, do the right thing. Ethics are 
paramount in all that we do. And I think that is absolutely critical. All too often you read about, you know, breaches in, in integrity. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about the billions and billions of dollars that are wasted each and every year as a result of corruption. It's, imagine if we can take that money for the benefit of society, okay? It's just something I would always ingrained within my children and I would to certainly young engineers starting out in the business or in the practice, I should say, do the right thing. Nick DiNicolo, thank you so much for spending some time here on the Civil Engineering Podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Nick DiNicolo. I really enjoyed the opportunity to sit down with him. I know how busy he was, and I'm so grateful that he gave me that time, and we were able to share that with all of our listeners because I think it's just valuable wisdom from his experience. Before I let you go, I just want to remind you the next session of the Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop, which is a five-week online workshop that can help you build or improve your engineering management skills, communication, networking and building relationships, productivity, building expertise in public speaking, and your leadership skills. Just like Nick was talking about, some of these skills that are important, right? The delegating, getting your team involved. You could check out the program at engineertomanager.com. That's engineertomanager.com. If you're an individual, click on individuals. If you're corporate, the information is right on the main page. We can enroll your team, your corporate team as well. And if you ever want to reach out to our offices to talk about custom training, feel free to reach out 201-857-2384. That's 201-857-2384. Remember, you could find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 89. And before I let you go, you're about to hear one last comment from Nick. We both thought the recorder was off. One of them was still on. The backup one was still on. We were able to capture this and share it with you. So I'll play it as we go out here. And until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. I'm no different than anybody else. That's what people need to understand. If you just go ahead and, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated, that's fine. But I never went to work with the notion of punching the clock. To me, it was like, I get up and I'm excited to go to work. Never felt like a chore. No. To me, it's my hobby. Yeah. I'm 66, Anthony. I mean, I go to work. I guess when I go to work, I put myself, my mindset is I'm 36 years old. That's my mindset. I'm yeah. 36. Why do I say that? Because I know that I've got another 20 years to really make a difference in this business. Right. So I don't look at my age being that I'm in the waxing years of my career. I look at it as if I was 36. I have a family that I'm raising. I got great opportunities with my business. And you go to work with this, this insatiable desire to just do the very best. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success. 